0: Uh, really good to be with you all. Uh, my family and I, if, if some of you may have had the chance to meet my wife, Caitlin, uh, beforehand or, or know her from other contexts. But we have a number of dear friends who are part of this community, so it really is uh, a joy and a privilege of mine to have the opportunity to uh, be here and open God's word with you. Uh, we're going to unpack the text Uh, that we just read in a few moments, but before we do that, I want to take a minute to pray, uh, to ask for God's help, that the Holy Spirit would help us receive what Jesus has for us today. So would you pray with me? Jesus, we are indeed grateful that you're a God who speaks, that you have not left yourself without witness, and and you give us your word because you love us, uh, and you want us to, to know you And so I do pray that just as you sent your Holy Spirit to inspire these words to be written down, would you send your spirit once again today to open our hearts, to open our minds, to soften our hearts, that we might receive you and your word, your truth with gladness. Help us to see your beauty, Jesus, and shape us even now into people who look and love more like you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Not long ago, I was listening to a sermon, and at one point, the pastor asked a question that I thought was really, really helpful. Uh, If you're curious, it was a guy named Brian Habig, who is the pastor of downtown Presbyterian Church in Greenville, South Carolina. And at one point, he asked, is the place that you're going the place you want to be when you get there? Uh, I want to say that again. Is the place that you're going the place you want to be when you get there? Uh, It's sort of a question that, at least to my ears, sounds a little bit folksy. Uh, It wasn't a question that was original to him. I I think, if I remember right, he was sharing it in the context of a story, but it's a a question that I I think is actually fairly illuminating, and it's a question that has stuck with me uh, ever since I heard that sermon. I think it gets at something really important for us to consider. And it's sort of as we look at our lives, as we think about our days, as we look at all these little moments that sort of weave together to make up who we are, that that, that make up our stories, the the way we use our time, the things that we prioritize. When we step back and look, what direction are we actually heading in? Uh, Where are we going? What are these things moving us towards? Uh, Is the place that we're going, the direction that we're heading in, is the place that we're going the place we want to be when we get there? And the reason I bring this up now is because I actually think uh, it's getting at something very, very similar to what the prophet Haggai is doing here in this text that we just read as he speaks to God's people, what he's, he's trying to communicate as we look at these verses. Uh, I'm not sure if you noticed, um, and I would guess that for most of us, this is a a portion of scripture that I think lots of people are fairly unfamiliar with. Uh, That was actually true for me, uh, even as we were working through this together at Redeemer uh, a few months ago. But in verse 5 and verse 7, Haggai looks at God's people, and and he says, consider your ways. Uh, And essentially what he's saying is he's saying, pay attention to your life. Uh, Are you aware of where you're going? Are, Are you considering what direction you're heading in? And I think what he's asking is the same sort of question that Habig does. When you look at your wife, when you think about your days, are you moving in a direction that is towards God or away from him? Do you find yourself closer to the place that you want to be? Or are you actually in a place where maybe you're starting to drift away? You've kind of gone off, Course, you're moving the wrong direction. Uh, the words that we see here, I, th- I think they're a challenge, they're a rebuke, but on an even deeper level, I think they're an invitation. Uh, the, uh, because one of the things that, that I think comes through really clearly when we start to kind of slow down and see what's going on here is the reality that God loves his people too much to let them live without him. He will not stay content just letting us drift away. And so, through the prophet Haggai, God is calling his people back to life. And as we look at these verses, as we think about our own stories, there's really three things that I want to consider this morning. I want us to ask what is the problem? Uh, Why do we tend towards this drift? Uh, What does God say here in response to his people? And then, what does this mean for, for you and for me? How does this connect with where we're at here today? And so, first, I want us to ask okay, what's the problem? In what way are the people drifting? What are, what are God's people doing that sort of leads to this challenge, that leads to this rebuke, that leads to this invitation from the prophet to, to consider their ways? And if you know anything about the context of Haggai, the people of God have recently come back home from exile. They've been living in foreign lands for many, many years. Uh, but recently God said, okay, it's time for you to come home. And so God miraculously works through the hearts of kings, through the hearts of rulers. Cyrus, king of Persia, issues this decree that that lets God's people come back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding the temple that has been in ruins for for a long, long time. Uh, But once they get there, it doesn't take long before the people sort of run into all these different problems, before their work eventually kind of all gets put on pause. Uh, a big part of the problem is actually the people living around them. Uh, when you look at Ezra chapter four, which kind of chronicles all of this history, one of the things that happens is, is their neighbors who've had the city all to themselves don't really want the people back living there. And so they kind of conspire against the people of God. They, they start working against their plan and kind of frustrating uh, what they're doing. And so the, the work to rebuild the temple ends up getting paused. It kind of comes to a complete halt for almost 20 years. But by the time we get to Haggai, to the text that we're in today, uh, we're about two decades into this. And and the problem isn't so much that they can't rebuild the temple. It's not that other people are still actively working against them, at least in the way that they they were at the beginning. Now, at at this point, the reality is is they just don't really want to do this. Uh, Their heart's aren't really in it anymore. They've got other things on their mind. They've got other priorities that have sort of crowded this out. And if you're wondering where I see that, uh, look for a minute at verse 4 and verse 9. Haggai essentially says, it will, you're not doing nothing. You're certainly keeping yourselves busy, but you are building your own houses while God's house lies in ruins, he says, you've put up these paneled walls, you're building these, these beautiful homes, but you've completely lost track of why God brought you here in the first place. And I think that what we see is that, that slowly over time, their hearts, their priorities, their souls have sort of gone out of sync. They've slowly let God kind of drift out of the picture. They've got plenty of things to do. They've got plenty of things to distract them. They've, they've somehow become okay with kind of doing their thing, uh, going about their business, living their lives without God really being a part of it. They're like, we're okay not having a place to worship. We're okay not having a temple. We're not, we're, we're okay if, if we have our own houses, if we do our own thing, uh, if we have a place to stay. And so what does God do? He sends them this prophet. He says, consider your ways. He says, pay attention to your life. Give careful consideration of the direction that you're going in. God loves his people too much to let them live without him. So he sends them this prophet and and he, he calls them back to himself. And I think if we're honest, when we think about where they're at, when we look at this story and kind of line up our experience and compare it to theirs, the reality is we're really not that different. When you look at your heart, your life, your priorities, are you in a place where you're moving towards God? Or do you find yourself drifting maybe slowly in the other direction? Do you find yourself moving in the direction you want to go? And I want. Really practically, to just take a moment and think about even the last week, uh, maybe even just the last two or three days. What are the things that have, have sort of captured your imagination? What are the things that have captured your attention that you find yourself daydreaming about when you're just sitting there thinking? What are you thinking? I bet very, very few of us would raise our hands and say, you know what? I cannot stop thinking about the kindness of Jesus, his work in my life, what he's calling me to do. If you're anything like me, you're probably stressed about work, or or maybe there's a relationship that's weighing on your heart. It might not even be something that's really all that important. It is remarkable how much time I spend just looking at random things on the internet, things that pop onto my Instagram feed, things I see on Twitter. Uh, I am a pretty slow runner. But I can spend so much time reading reviews of different running shoes. Uh, And it's almost like, okay, I have read five, but maybe if I read 10, I will find the right pair that will instantly make me faster. Um, That is not how it works, but I think you probably know (laughs) what I mean. Uh, Our hearts grow cold, they get busy. They get distracted, and it's often not with things that are necessarily wrong or, or bad. I mean, think about the example that we see here in this chapter. The people of God want to build houses for their families. They, they want to be safe. They want to be protected. All of those desires are good and worth affirming But the way that they crowd out space for God shows that things are out of sync. They're not where they're supposed to be. But what does God say to this? How does he respond? What, what does God say here to try to call his people back? I'm sure some of you are familiar with a book called Thoughts to Make Your Heart Sing. It's a, it's a children's book by Sally Lloyd-Jones. I highly recommend it. It's, it has these beautiful illustrations and kind of like these little short reflections on different themes about what it means to follow Jesus, I actually meant to bring it so you could see kind of the first picture because uh, the, the first page is all about creation, and it has this this image of the planets kind of dancing around the sun, and, and the first page is kind of reflecting up on how when God made the world, when He made the universe, he, he sang us into being and made the world and our hearts and everything to dance around him in, in the very same way that the planets kind of dance and twist and orbit around. The sun, the way the planets find their place in relation to the sun, that's how we were made to live here in God's world. For us to find our place, for us to find our stability, for us to find our joy in knowing and loving him and in, in being known and loved by him. It's the dance that we were made for. It's the dance our hearts were built for. But that's not where we're at, is it? It's certainly not uh, the place where the people of Israel find themselves here. It's certainly not the place where we find ourselves today. And that's because ever since human beings first turned away from God, ever since sin first entered the world, we have put ourselves at the center and kind of pushed God to the margins. The one that we most need, the relationship that we most ache for, the God our hearts were made for is also the one we most resist. There's a writer named Richard Lovelace who I think puts this really well. He says, the human heart, even the redeemed human heart, has an allergy to God. Left to ourselves, we most naturally turn away. We drift. We get busy. We sort of push God to the margins. But the thing that's so striking about the text that we're in today, about the words that God speaks here through the prophet Haggai, is that everything God says Everything he communicates, all of these words are spoken in love and not bitterness. It's totally unlike the way that any of us would respond. God comes to a people who are prone to resist him. They're cold. They're apathetic. They don't move towards him in love. But but what does God do? What does he say? He he doesn't throw up his hands and say, I'm done. It's over. These people never get it right. He, He doesn't say, they're not worth my time. This just isn't worth The effort, no, God pursues them. He comes near and he he calls them back to life. He invites them to rejoin this dance we just talked about. It's exactly what he's doing when he says, consider your ways. It's a rebuke, it's a warning, but God is calling them back to relationship. God loves his people too much to let them live without him. And if we look at verse 13, he goes even further. It's not just, "I I want you to come back. God says, I am with you, declares the Lord. To people who are cold, I am with you, declares the Lord. To people who are distant, I am with you, declares the Lord. To people who over and over again forget him and drift away, I am with you, declares the Lord. I haven't left. I won't forget you. I pursue you when you drift He says, to turn away from me is to turn away from life. And I love you too much to ever let that happen. In Romans chapter two, the apostle Paul says that it is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. And that's exactly what we see right here in this text. How how, how do they respond when they hear these words from God, this call, this promise, this this invitation back to life and relationship? And it, it doesn't give us all of the details, But from what we can tell in the the kind of verses 12 and and beyond, it actually works. The the people wake up, the people turn around, the people see that they're going in the wrong direction, and so they start to come back, and and they start to rebuild God's temple. Where we're at here in Haggai, this is is a turning point in the story of the Bible. It's it's this really significant moment, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are at least some of us who, who look at this, who hear this and think, well, okay, yeah, that's great for them. But, but what does that have to do with me, with us? How does this connect with us here today, with our stories, with our experiences? And whether or not you find yourself asking those kinds of questions, there are really two things I want each of us to walk away with here today. And the first is this. Uh, the promise God makes here, this promise, I am with you. It's the very same promise God makes to each of us in Jesus. Behold, I am with you till the end of the age. That's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 28. In all of our drifting, in all of our coldness, in the busyness of our hearts, in all of our distraction, Jesus is the one who keeps chasing after us, I am here, I am with you, I won't leave you for a moment. And if you hear that, it's like, that's not, like, how could that be true? Just look at what he's done. Think about the realities at the center of the gospel. Jesus lived the life that, that we have not lived, a life of perfect love and attentiveness to God. Jesus died the death that that we deserve to die for all of our apathy, for for all of our self-centeredness and self-absorption. He says, if you run away, I will chase after you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I have bound my life to yours. But the second thing I want us to see is God's care and God's commitment to to bring his children home, to, to meet us when we drift and use all sorts of things to wake us up to draw us back home to remind us who he is and who we're meant to be in him there's a a theme in the text that i haven't spent much time yet and and it's that part of the background is that the people are are living through a famine we get hints of it in a few, few different places here for example verse six says you have so much and harvested little you eat but you never have enough And the interesting thing to me, if we look at verse 11, is that God is the one who steps up and essentially says, I'm the one who did this. I've called for a drought on the land and on the hills. I'm the one who has sent this famine because I want you to come back. I want you to wake up to the reality of where you're going. There's a lie that we sometimes hear, even in the context of the church, that, that sort of says the way that we know God loves us and, and wants us to be happy is that he gives us what we want. He makes us happy. He makes us healthy. Our lives are easy and fulfilled. But one of the things I think we see here, one of the things I think we see actually in a number of places throughout the story of the Bible is that, that sometimes the opposite can be true. God loves us too much to let us live without him, which means he is willing to hold back good things in order to help us see our sin, in order to draw us to himself. This is something I think we need to be really, really careful about. It's not the sort of lens that we want to look at everything through and say, oh, like, oh, because... I don't have this, that clearly means that that I've sinned in this way and God is trying to wake me up. No, I think that that can get really dangerous, but it's a question I think that's worth asking from time to time. Am I going the wrong direction? Are there ways that God is actually trying to wake me up? And if you're here this morning and you would not call yourself a Christian, uh, I want you to consider for a moment the places you just ache. Or things don't look or feel the way that you hoped they would. And I want you to ask as you think about that, could, could this, that ache, could this be an invitation? Could Jesus be inviting me to, to maybe turn and try a new direction, to turn and move towards him rather than staying where I am? And if you're here and you're listening and, and you would call yourself a quick Christian, I think that probably characterizes most many of us in this room. I, I actually want you to ask the very same thing. Where am I drifting? Are there places I've pulled away? Are there, are there areas in my life where, where God is actually trying to wake me up again? What would it look like for me to turn and come back Haggai says, consider your ways. Pay attention to your life. Is the place that you're going, the place you want to be when you get there. And when it turns out that it's not, here's the good news of the gospel. There is nothing Jesus loves more than helping us find our way home. God loves us too much to let us live without him. That comes through loud and clear through this message from Haggai. It comes through loud and clear when we hear the voice of Jesus. So I wanna I want take this time now uh, to briefly pray, to go to Jesus now and, and ask him to bring us home in the places we're prone to wander and the places we're tempted to drift. So would you pray with me? Jesus, you say that you came into this world to seek and save the lost, that you're a friend of sinners, that there is nothing you love more than showing us your kindness and grace when we say that we need it, when we come to you and and ask for your help. And so I do pray that even this morning, as, as we consider your word, as we eat and drink around your table, as we sing, as we pray, would you help us see your beauty? Would you restore us to the joy of your salvation and in in knowing your kindness deep in our bones. Would you wake us up? Would you draw us to yourself? We love you, Jesus. And we ask all of these things in your name. Amen.